Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of the Drum Network Podcast. I'm senior reporter for The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. All this week across the drum.com, we've been exploring data. Now that's an incredibly broad term and we've been diving deep into every single aspect of data use for marketing, whether that be gathering, processing, analyzing, or deploying. And so to discuss everything to do with data in the time that we have, I'm delighted to be joined by four absolute experts who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now. So Tash, could you tell the listeners who you are and what your company does, please? Yeah, of course. Um, Tasha Wilmot. I'm head of um, proposition activation at Indicia Worldwide. Um, and we look to uncover value where others don't. So it's all about identifying ROIs for whatever channel you might be activating. Perfect. And Richard? Hi, I'm Richard. I'm social data director at Ogilvy. I work within the social and content team. Uh, we generally use social data to help companies understand online presence, audience, the marketplace, things like that, all things social data, essentially. Nice. Fantastic. And Andrea? Hi, everyone. My name is Andrea. I'm a paid media analyst at Brave Bazin, a company which is a 360 degree into digital from commerce to performance up to social. Fantastic. And Sophie? Yep, I'm Sophie Coley. I'm Director of Strategy at Propellernet. Um, we're a digital marketing agency, um, a B Corp based down in Brighton. Um, and we cover off yeah, everything from sort of paid media side of things to organic search, but a real interest in what we call search listening and, and search data and everything to do with that. Nice. Fantastic. Well, as the listeners will now be aware, we are coming at this from such a breadth and depth of expertise. So we're going to get a really holistic view of everything to do with data and marketing. And Sophie, why don't we stick with you? Because I know that one of the questions my editor wanted me to ask is, at what point does data, as we think about it, enter into the marketing journey? Is it there from the start? Are we almost grandfathering data in from previous campaigns? Is there any part of the marketing journey that doesn't involve data to some capacity? Yeah, no, I don't. I think the answer is no. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, data is everywhere, and I think being a marketer in this day and age, it's it's a real gift that we can plan campaigns, make decisions with data that's everywhere. Um, I, I suppose, um, and I think we'll get into this more as we have the conversations today. But um, I guess drilling down into different types of data, I think mm. the, the type that I am most taken by, which um, probably relates to this question, is is just this idea that as consumers, we are leaving sort of breadcrumbs of data everywhere in everything we do, whether whether we like explicitly <laughs> opt in or not sometimes, um, which might be controversial. But yeah, I think uh, given that there is just so much data everywhere that I don't think... Um, I don't think it's it's even possible really to start these days anything without data. That's totally fair. Yeah. And I think that, oh my God, we could do, I'm going to say this all the way through this episode, but we could have done an entire series, let alone episode, purely on that data breadcrumbing aspect of it. Yeah. But Richard, when we're talking about data then, are we talking, you know, Sophie said that data is such a broad term that we could drill down. But when we're talking about data from a marketing perspective, how present is it when we're talking to customers to begin with? You know, how much existing data is there when we're trying to, I suppose, talk to customers for the first time? Yeah, I mean, back to, to Sophie's point, yeah, it, it should be used from the outset. It should be used, you know, any any kind of campaign you're running should be based on data from your audience, that based on data from your competitors, around your own brand presence online, around um, the marketplace itself. Uh, in this day and age, there's no reason to go to market without arming yourself with all these different nuggets of information that are out there. Um, and yeah, I think I think all too often, um, in my experience personally, is that sometimes data is a little bit late to the table for for kind mm. of uh, for some for some clients. So 
I would personally like to see it used more from the very kind of inception of of, um, of kind of campaigns and, and brand strategies and things like that. So, and it just seems to be moving that way a little bit more now. Um, you know, like you say, why would you not want all of this like great information about your customer base before you even get started? Yeah, absolutely. Now, if, just before we move on to um, to Tash and Andrea, when you're talking there about maybe bringing data to the table a little bit later, what do you think is behind that? Uh, I think I think sometimes um, we're guilty of kind of creating strategies before we've actually examined the data. So there's a strategist's hunch sometimes that they want kind of backed up by uh, data that's out there in the marketplace when really we should be kind of entering with an open mind and kind of looking and saying, let's let's look at the audience for our brand. Let's look at our brand perception online. Let's look at all these different elements and then tailor that strategy around that. And I think there's, I mean, it's not a magic bullet by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, the more kind of focused and effective you can be is based on how much data and how much kind of legwork you've done in, in the in the initial stage. I think it's fine for a strategist to kind of have hunches and kind of ideas of what they think is um, the right way to go. But I think we should be kind of using a mix of creativity and data with that as well. Nice. And Tashi, you were nodding along with, with large parts of that. Is that yeah, something that, that the challenge yeah, would it resonates in the fact that it's exactly the kind of conversations which we're having. Um, but I think, you know, there does seem to be a turning of heads towards data and, you know, in the fact even that's right up to the C-suite. And I think the, being able to unlock understanding around the customer is so valuable. And I think that value is starting to be identified from all other aspects of organizations, not just marketing. But being able to unlock, um, you know, makes basically your most valuable uh, customers and understanding, you know, what might be, if you look at the Pareto rule, you know, if they're bringing 80% of the value through 20% of your customers, if you can unlock understanding around that 20% and then deliver that at an organizational level, it should be impacting everything from right from the your overarching proposition right through to how you're talking to customers as they come in. So I think, you know, there does seem to be more of an understanding, more of an acceptance of how valuable customer data is right up to a C-suite level. And so, Andrea, I saw you nodding along, particularly when Tash there was talking about there being this widespread recognition, it's almost a vertical recognition through the business that data is paramount. Does that chime with your experience or are we still seeing a little bit of, um, I suppose, education to be done with some levels of the business about what is possible through data, whether that be from a strategy point of view or an execution point of view? Yeah, exactly. I cannot agree anymore. And the fact that like the, the, the vertical and how, for example, agencies and business communicate between each other is uh, probably one of the biggest point of conversation nowadays. Um, I, I think like especially business, small business are maybe struggling at the moment to analyze their data and have a better understanding on who are their customer, their buyer persona, how they can evolve and expand what they are currently doing. And obviously, this is where we can fit in with our in-deep analysis. Uh, but sometimes, let's say, there's kind of a missing point in the conversation between the data we can extrapolate and what we explain then to the client. And sometimes, like, the lack in their capacity to transform this data into something that is actionable and that can be put into place to grow the business farther and farther. Uh, definitely, I think, like, it's, it's very due also to the amount of data we are exposed nowadays. Like just mm-hmm. if we see maybe two, 10 years ago, uh, it's, it, it's super complicated even for us that we literally like live and breathe of data. So for, for customers, sometimes it can be um, very much difficult to take decision. And the more a vertical the business it is, the more slower it can be to make some changes. And when these are applied, it's already mm-hmm. too late sometimes. 
See, that's fascinating. And that's almost preempted an entire article that we've written for the Data Deep Dive, which is uh, live as of the time of this recording going out, which is that five, 10 years ago, accurate data was seen as kind of table stakes for doing, well, five years ago, was seen data was seen as table stakes for doing marketing effectively. And now we're getting multiple people pitching us, basically saying we are deluged by data. There's almost too much out there. Oh my God, the, for the listeners' benefit, everybody nodded in unison there. So, <laughs> so Sophie, I wondered then, where has that perception that there is uh, this deluge of data and it's almost, I suppose, uh, incumbent upon marketers, agencies, experts to help pass that down? You know, Where has that sort of recognition come from? I guess we're all, yeah, we're all aware of um, more data existing, and I guess there are kind of specialists and experts in each different kind of pocket of, of uh, where you might be collecting data from these days. Um, and there, there are more experts than ever, I suppose, in every type of uh, data that you can get hold of. So I, I, there is definitely value in working with experts and bringing them into your business to um, to be able to to actually really understand it. I do think. Um, it relates to your previous question i do think there is also something to be said in just getting started with the data that you have uh, available mm. um, in terms of perhaps one of the the reasons that businesses aren't um you know making use of, of data as best as they can is i think probably the fact that it does feel overwhelming at times and therefore you know accessing that expertise to be able to really understand it feels daunting can be expensive i suppose um I feel like I'm going to talk about it a lot, but as my, my, the area that I'm really interested in is, is search data and not search data necessarily for SEO performance um, exclusively. But um, I am a huge fan of um, Seth Stevens Davidovitz and there's a book called Everybody Lies. Um, and he talks about uh, search data being kind of the most important data ever that exists in, in terms of the human psyche, this idea that we tell Google, uh, things that we wouldn't tell our partner, our best friend, our doctor, all sorts of things. Um, and, and that data is data that you can literally, like Google serves that data back to you as a user um, without you having to access a database, work with an expert to kind of get get hold of any um, complex data, I suppose. So, yeah, I... I um, I, I, as much as there is a deluge, and I think that can be um, intimidating and costly for businesses to get started with sometimes, I think there are also data sources that can be really enlightening that, that actually are a lot more, I suppose, simple and probably qual-based sometimes, mm. but I don't think that that negates their value. I just say, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. The, the, this deluge and safe, I think you touched on it there as well. I think it's it's the idea of knowing the right questions to ask. And I think, you know, you can you can be overwhelmed by the huge amount of data. But I think if you start to put it into human terms and the fact of what narrative do you want to find within the data and you start asking questions of the data, which is in line with, you know, what you're looking to achieve as an organization or what kind of customer experience you're trying to create, then you can start to actually ask the right questions because those are the ones which are going to be formative on giving you direction on how to then achieve those objectives. Mm. That, that's such an interesting point, and it's something that I know that we'll almost certainly come back to here. Before we do, though, I wanted to just quickly dig into something that both Sophie and Andrea touched upon briefly, which is um, depending on the size of your business, depending on who you're working with, be that Google or, you know, kind of one of these other huge uh, data-led giants, these sort of titans of the industry. Richard, to what extent is it incumbent on marketers to work with third parties like Google, like uh, kind of Meta, which whoever is serving up user data effectively, is it even possible to do it without relying now on, on working with these third parties? I think the most important thing is working with people who understand the data at the end of the day. Like if you don't understand the data yourself, 
it's not almost about the partners you choose. It's about the people you choose to help you to understand that and to make sense of it. There's so much smoke and mirrors around. And it's like you say, it does feel like there's more data around than ever. Um, I think one of the kind of problems is there seems to be more solutions around than ever. There seems to be more kind of people offering this kind of magic bullet that is going to transform your marketing and things like that. And it's and really it's trying to make sense of all that and make sure you find the right people and the right solutions to work with. Because I think actually the data in a lot of cases, I don't think data has kind of changed that much in the last few years. It's just mm. there's so many different ways of kind of interpreting it and so many different ways of kind of processing it now as well. And I think the rise of artificial intelligence has kind of exacerbated that <laughs> hugely because, you know, what is AI if it's not the result of kind of data processing and an ingestion of data that's kind of on a bigger scale than we've ever kind of seen really. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of kind of smoke and mirrors around there. And it's just about finding the right people and the right expertise that kind of match up with what your business objectives are and what you want mm. to achieve uh, and, and, and kind of deploying that in the right way. See, that's fascinating. Now I'm going to throw this next question open to the, to, to the entire group. So whoever wants to take it, uh, how do you then go about, identifying which partners to work with to Richard's point, which will actually deliver solutions that work for your business objectives, you know, because, you know, nobody is such an expert that they can pass that instantly. So what do you look for when you're working with people to make sure that what they'll be offering actually matches what you need to do with your own data? I can take this one. Um, I think in our case is like to properly being asked the consumers first and like start having a grasp of any platform and how it behaves to understand also to which one of our clients might fit the best. Mm. Um, this way, like we can start to have a proper conversation what can be uh, the potential um, as an example, but also what can be the evolution. Because yeah, uh, as, as it was said before, like uh, there are like a lot of platforms nowadays and some of them are very similar between each other. Other might offer like specifically for some verticals. So the main point is how they can adapt now to the necessity of our clients, but also can evolve with them instead of having like a short burst. It's more like how can they grow like in the long term? So that's, yeah, there's like a proper um, proper growth for, for, for both the businesses in this case. Yeah, I mean, I'd say a lot of it is around doing your doing your research, basically into, you know, you start off with your brief or your, you know, whatever you whatever you want to achieve via your campaign or, or whatever it might be. Uh, you do research into the marketplace. You look at kind of case studies from different agencies, different marketers and stuff, and who've who've been working with data successfully, and just trying to find someone that matches up with what you're trying to achieve and the questions that you're trying to answer through data, essentially. Nice, fantastic. And also, I think there's also there's also just throwing a challenge out there and the fact of, you know, it's, um, as Sophie said, you know, you don't have to have the full solution to get started. You can just get, you can just, you know, jump in, look for some value cases, look for some POC opportunities. And I think throw that out to a few who you're interested in and just get them to come back with different approaches because mm. you know, there is, um, there's huge amounts of different uh, sort of solutions which you can put in place for data and different people approach it in different ways. And you just need to find an organization that sort of fits with your vision. Um, and as we go from there. Moving on, we've we've heard of some amazing things that have been done with data, you know, whether that be active personalization in real time, you know, identification of demographics which actually fit with your with your kind of proposition. What would you all say is um has been your priority in terms of 
using data, that kind of catch-all term, over the past couple of years? Has it been for personalization? Has it been for identifying opportunities? Uh, Andrea, where where would you say that sort of the big opportunity for for your organization has been? Yeah, I think actually you mentioned two of my main points. Uh, We do prediction at the end of each year uh, within our company. And in 2021, mine was around like working more on creatives with data. And at the end of 2022, I did it around privacy. Mm. So our main focus at the moment is exactly this one. So the first one is actually because AI is taking more control around our campaigns and how we manage our audiences, the focus now is more on focusing on the creatives and to understand how we can probably capture the attention of, of, of our users. And this is where data can fit into, into this. On the other hand, obviously, we are seeing less like data uh, coming through in a more granular way. And this is maybe mm. due to privacy, such as the GDPR or uh, other privacy solutions, such as the one applied by Apple. So we need to understand also how we can proper filter, um, I would say, very qualitative data, but respecting also the decision of people about their privacy. And so Tash then, obviously, Andreas flagged up a lot there. And I think primarily he's flagged up the fact that the data landscape is ever-changing. It's not like we're simply just pouring more data into this flat sort of topography. Uh, but obviously, Apple's changes with pr- relation to privacy have upended some aspects of kind of the data use for marketers. What would you say then are some of those um, big changes that you personally have seen in terms of the industry's approach to data over the past couple of years? Well, I think it is. It's you know the, the approach has had to change out necessity in the fact you know consumers are so much more savvy now and understanding the value of their data. You know as as they should be. In the fact, I would encourage people to you know carefully share their data. But um, I think it means that organisations, um, especially on the marketing sense, that value exchange is so critical that you get that right. The fact that you know there needs to be a compelling reason for uh, consumers and clients to share their data with you, and you know unless you nail that, then you will get limited um, participation and you know as far as and also the ongoing engagement the more obviously which they get to where they share the more you can personalize and make sure that you you are actually making something compelling for them to be engaged with on an ongoing basis so from as to be more succinct <laughs> i think it is just the idea that you have to give re- people a reason to believe and a reason to engage and actually in, in, enjoy participating and engaging with a, a company and by doing understanding more you can hone what you're telling them that sounds like such a foundational aspect of best practice for you know consumer data that's i'm almost going to use that as the title for the episode i think so thank you for that <laughs> sophie what's changed in terms of search data over the past couple of years what trends have you seen in terms of how people think about it deploy it even gather it yeah, I guess so. We've been um, on, a, on a bit of a mission to try and change how people are using it. I think, um, rightly so, and it still is. You know, search data should feed certainly like uh, SEO campaigns and that side of um, like the perf- the performance side of any work that any brand is doing, understandably. But yeah, I come back to the point. Um, I I I can get lost in search data for hours. I'm a bit of a nerd around it, but but I really come back to you know we'll look at spreadsheets of the data and um, the things that you see. Uh, the example I always give is we did some research into some like medical search data, and um, there were people searching things like what does uh, my doctor mean when he asks am I sexually active, which to me is such like a soul bearing question, right? You can imagine yeah. someone's gone, someone is perhaps um, anticipating going into a doctor's consultation and 
stressing about the fact that they're going to be asked this question it feels just too awkward to actually get the clarification on it um and it's not the sort you know if i put out a survey or uh yeah it's not the sort of data that you could get very easily from someone else i think that like i say that real sort of soul bearing aspect of it um and i appreciate that's a real extreme case and and in the medical space i think it is incredibly useful where people are sort of very um soul bearing in that sense but yeah you know we've worked with um supermarkets to um plug gaps in product ranges just identified from search data um we've worked with um media organizations to make sure that the shows they're putting out they're fully covering the kind of content landscape in terms of what is it that people actually you know that whole second screen behavior what is it that people actually want to know um and, and none of this is necessarily coming at it from like a e-commerce SEO performance point of view, but it's this idea that um, it's data that we can easily get hold of. We're not necessarily restricted by some of the things that we were just talking about in terms of that um, owned data and people actually consenting to give it away because it's Google that's collecting it. Of course, we lose some of the um, the real detail around that and a- being able to sort of drill down into demographics and that kind of thing. But if you're just trying to understand sentiment and mm. I, like uncover some real core human truths, then search data is um, fantastic. So yeah, we've been working with businesses over the last few years to upskill, as I say, not just search teams, but the whole business about how that they can use this as, as more of a a rich data source to drive the whole business rather than just their performance marketing. Mm. And that, that's such a fascinating example to have given because, you know, to Tasha's point earlier, it speaks to that relationship between consumers and their own data and how they actually want to interact with, you know, the tools and utilities that they use every day. So Richard, you know, based on what, you know, we've, we've heard so far, what would you say then are some of those ongoing challenges in terms of actually using data, whether that be, you know, Apple's changes to how we gather it or, you know, anything like that. What are some of those big challenges we're facing right now? Yeah, I mean, as a uh, as working in the social space, there have been some kind of unique challenges that have faced us over the past few years. I mean, since the whole Cambridge Analytica stuff, API access has been throttled in some cases, so it's harder harder than ever to kind of get you know access to Instagram data. Facebook's always been a pretty closed book for us anyway, mm. um, but it's harder and harder to get publicly active uh, publicly accessible data that we can kind of use to kind of draw inferences from um so that's the kind of main challenge for us i think it's 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 a tricky one in terms of personalization as well we we kind of like to when we kind of do social uh, analysis we like to look at kind of audiences and groups of people rather than the individual uh, 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 as a as a kind of as a single person you know we kind of like to look at behaviors of groups of people build audiences and kind of help brands to understand their customers through that kind of aspect because i think with personalization there's kind of a tipping point where it stops feeling personal and it starts feeling a bit creepy and a bit kind of uh, <laughs> a bit uh, invasive, you know. And it's like like people have said, people are more um, people are more aware of their data now than and, and how it's being used than ever before, you know. So yeah. it's 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 a difficult one. I mean, we've used it quite successfully at Ogilvy recently um, to to good effect. Uh, we did a campaign for Sainsbury's where we did an out of home campaign based on nectar data. So it was the regional products and the kind of regional variation. For you know, people in Sunderland like to eat this. People in uh, I don't know London like to eat that, and it's kind of a nice, just a nice way of using data, which doesn't feel too invasive, but also mm. kind of helps to build that kind of relationship with the consumers regionally as well. So I think there's there's definitely a place for personalization um, within the kind of data space, but it's a really kind of difficult balancing act. I think it's so fascinating how quickly "creepy" almost became the technical <laughs> term for how 
Yeah. Just think about data. Because uh, it's the word that everybody uses all the time, not like unsettling or, you know, scary. It's always creepy. But just before we move on, Richard, were you surprised by how much cut through the Cambridge Analytica stuff got with the public? I think I think a lot of it is that people don't really understand. There's a lot of stuff around like the dark arts of data use and things like that. People still think that, you know, their smartphones are listening to their conversations and targeting ads at them based on, um, you know, the pet food they were talking about or things like that you know so there is a lot of kind of a lack of understanding of what kind of data is used for and what data can actually do and which kind of drives a lot of consumer fear over what yeah. kind of it's being used for as well so it's not it's not surprising that it's kind of had the cut through it has and i think there's probably a lot more to do in terms of educating consumers about data and mm. data democratization and, you know, letting them know that it's a valuable asset that they can use to, they should be kind of selling their data and kind of making a benefit out of them themselves, really. That's that's the kind of place we want to get to because you know, yeah. their data is very valuable. It's valuable to us, so they should kind of reap the benefits of that. Uh, I think that's something we're going to be hearing a lot of over the next couple of years. So moving on then, uh, Andrea, we're, you know, we've, we've almost spoken, we've set up the context now for how people are using data. Um, so what would be your advice to any marketer or brand that is looking to really supercharge its use of data as we, you know, work our way through 2023? Yeah, I think I will probably just uh, recap some of the points I mentioned before. So the mm-hmm. first one is probably like to understand like your customers and how can you use your data to properly target them to offer like a proper customer ex- a kind of customized experience with the seamless journey possible through your website or cross channel because sometimes we tend to just look at the channel we manage like in my example it can be google or it can be um, a social channel but we always have to use an holistic level to understand what's it, what is the the best one and then the second the second part is to use this data to uh, properly like yeah dig, dig deeper and understand mm. how can you proper catch their attention when it comes down to to creative because in, in the end creative is gonna play a really fundamental part in if people are gonna click for example on on your on your ad or if they're gonna to reach your websites um, and yeah usually it can be more than 50 percent of the success of your campaign so it's not just understand like who is your audience but also how can you capture the attention in all the mm. white noise there's like on the web or even like when you look at out-of-home banners as an example. Could you quickly give, oh, you, you mentioned out-of-home banners there. I just wondered, could you quickly give another example of where data is being used to actually impact creative decisions as well? Yeah, I, I, I personally always look at the verticals that tend to struggle the most in the past because it means that now they have a more advanced knowledge of how using first-party data or all the data and I found really interesting that, for example, a lot of digital newspaper uh, have seen like a very uh, positive growth in the last few years. Uh, to mention one from the UK, uh, I think The Guardian has made an incredible job through not just their creative with the ads, but also on their website. They are uh, they're having their internal platform when they are doing tests, so you can reach their website. And depending on which, for example, article you have clicked, they might expose you to other similar articles or something related to it. Um, mm. The New York Times, I think, is another great example if you look uh, at, at a bigger market, which is the US. And if we look also at a smaller one, um, as an Italian, I, I really like the project of the Il Post that, uh, similar to, to others, has basically created this kind of subscription plan and uh, is able to basically then 
retarget people or find similar one based on this kind of interest based, for example, on podcasts or mm. specific kind of articles. So I think a lot of business should look more at how newspapers are tackling this issue at the moment. See, that's fascinating. We, we, well, we could, again, have done an entire thing solely about that. Uh, Sophie, what would then you say are some of the examples you would, or rather what advice you would give to anybody who's looking to supercharge their own use of data then? Um, I think it probably just recap on some of the points that we've already talked about, but I think really starting with um, the right questions at the start and being clear on what it is that you're trying to find in the data. Um, so having those those research questions clear and making sure, yeah, you know, it's not just we need to understand our customers more, like specifically what do you want to know? And then I think um, I think probably being clear yourselves or prior being clear on your priorities in terms of what do you need to get from the data and therefore what is the right data source. And, and you know, I would say that your process always needs to be rigorous. So mm. I'm definitely not saying do away with any sort of rigor in that, but equally, um, yeah, is, is it that the data needs to be like a huge scale for you to really find what it is that you're looking for? Or yeah. is it just some simple human understanding that you're looking for that actually you might get from a, a much smaller pool of data that might be easier to access? Um, I think that's probably one of the benefits of what we were talking about at the beginning in terms of there being so much data available. But equally, um, I think being clear on what is it that you're actually trying to get from the data and therefore what is the right source of it is probably the thing that you really need to consider. I think absolutely resonate what you know what Sophie is saying as well. Um, but I think the thing um, when we sort of start off with data conversations, especially when we've got clients coming to us saying they want to be uh, customer led or data driven, um, you know, at, and just you really try to unlock what that means as far as what it means across channels. And like Andrea was saying, you know, that you've got you're looking to multi um, activate across omni channel. You need to make sure that different stakeholders are on board from the start. And that's one thing which we found when we're really trying to help make organizational change and to be customer data-led is to ensure all those stakeholders are on the same page right from the start and to create a common vision that strategically everyone can sign up to and agree with so that, you know, then as the data is explored and unlocked, that it actually resonates with individuals and different stakeholders from different areas, and it means something to them. And the fact that it's actually actionable, something which they can take away and say, this is what it means to me in my role, rather than this overarching, you know, some slightly um, vague vagaries which you can come from data, something yeah. that's tangible they can hold on to and do something with. Absolute paramount thing is uh, accuracy and trust, and it has to work at kind of ground level before you elevate it. So I think I'd, my advice to anyone looking to work with data is like, you know, uh, it's crawl before you can walk, walk before you can run. You know, it's uh, let's, get, let's get the basics right, get the right tools for the job, get the right people in, um, whether you're doing that in-house, whether you're doing it with partners. Um, yeah, there's really, really nail the fundamentals, and then you can really build on that. I suppose that goes back to Sophie's point about make sure you're you're you know already doing it and kind of experimenting and don't be afraid to really get involved. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do it with such a huge remit that you don't effectively come away with anything tangible. Mm. And so we've come oh God, through the fastest exploration of data in in human history <laughs> to the final question. And so uh, Andrea, I wondered, could you maybe lead this one off? What are you most excited about over the next few years when it comes to the use of data for marketing? Now, that could be personalization. That could be AI and creative. That could be absolutely anything. What are you most excited about? Yeah, I actually think that uh, one of the biggest challenge, which will be privacy, which uh, it will be actually for us like the biggest opportunity we, we have to help mm. businesses to get closer to, to, to their customer, to people actually, to get like, 
to have proper relationship. That probably is what, as always, struggle, especially when you look at the digital environments. Uh, we don't take this into consideration because maybe we work mainly across, you know, brand or performance. So we have to be driven uh, around specific KPIs. So we look like at the short term uh, kind of relationship of performance we can drive. But I think what we can do in the future with all, all the evolving system, it, it will be actually have a longer term relationship, which, which will drive like natural growth. And so, Sophie, in terms of you know what you've seen in terms of search what are you most excited about is it new data tools from big platforms is it sort of this wider recognition of what is possible what are you most excited about so definitely more uh, definitely excited about hopefully more businesses um starting to adapt um adopt search data for as i say broader use throughout the business and recognizing it as more of a a tool for understanding their customers better rather than it being a driver a, solely a driver of performance marketing i think the other thing is um we can see you know in a search world obviously google have dominated for so long and there is a huge huge rich and very easy to access data set that, that google provides to pretty much anyone at least if you're uh, spending on paid ads with them um <laughs> But I think I spoke earlier, one of the real challenges that, that I have working with search data at the moment is I, I often um, talk to people that I work with and say, you know, it's brilliant. My 70-something-year-old my mum uses Google, and I think my six-year-old niece uses Google. So you're capturing a huge cross-segment of the population. That said, you're also not necessarily able to drill down into any specific demographics unless someone is sort of self-identifying in, in the language that they're using mm-hmm. when they're searching. I think what I'd love to see, and it's um, it's an excitement, but, you know, sort of a, a wish as well and a hope is... <laughs> Um, certainly more like social platforms opening up um, access to search data on their platforms as well so uh, I'm talking about platforms like TikTok which um, is largely becoming like a search engine for younger Mm. people there is obviously um, a very sort of specific uh, well a more specific demographic than perhaps might use Google using TikTok Mm. um, which would really help with that challenge that we have you know if we get a brief that is specifically about understanding that that younger demographic um, I know young people are going to TikTok and looking for medical advice and all that sort of thing and and um, exhibiting that exact same search behavior so i think it's about thinking about search as a behavior um across different channels and thinking about the data that you can get from it but as i say google at the moment is the one that makes it Mm. real easy to to access the data so i would love to see um different um channels opening up data um, nice we've had we've had both snap and tiktok come to us and say actually no we have so we are effectively a search engine now for product Mm. recommendations so yeah (laughs) Richard, what would you say then, uh, you know, naturally follows on from that? What are you most excited about over the next couple of years in terms of your own use of data? Sure. Um, I think the changing social landscape is going to be really interesting to see uh, how that kind of unfolds over the next few years. I mean, we're already seeing Blue Sky now, Jack Dorsey backed um, as a potential rival to Twitter. We don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen with Twitter over the next kind of few years as well. We don't but know what's gonna... going to happen with Twitter over the next 24 hours. <laughs> well. Yeah, quite, yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that social landscape changes over time. And obviously, with Blue Sky, they've talked about the decentralization of social media and how... Um, I don't know how that's going to look in terms of will we be able to get access to that data or not. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. In terms of like the uh, understanding and processing of data, we're starting to use kind of AI more and more. I think I'm like turning into the AI guy on this uh, <laughs> podcast. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a real game changer for us in terms of making our lives easier rather than yeah. taking our jobs. So uh, tools like ChatGPT are really helping us to make sense of huge data sets 
faster than we have before. We're using methods like graph network analysis, which mean we're able to deliver insights that we just wouldn't have been able to do, you know, five years ago. So it's uh, it's a really exciting time in terms of what AI is helping us to do in terms of processing large, large, large amounts of data um, and, and helping ultimately to deliver better insights. And Tash, I think you have the slightly unenviable task now of almost summing up, you know, what are you most excited about in terms of how marketers are going to interact with data over the next couple of years? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, it's um it's just been fascinating hearing different you know, everyone from different walks of life within data. But I think, you know, the same thing is resonating through in the fact that, you know, there's such a rich amount of data um available and it's you know, it's just knowing what what you know what to ask of that data. And I think that what I'm excited about is the fact that more and more marketers are asking those questions and more, you know, marketing disciplines, um, even the more traditional ones are starting to lean into data as the guide of which way you know which direction to take and where to invest um in this year we're looking at opening up um pos and nice. you know, as a channel for an understanding and applying data into that area which you know it's traditionally it's at that sort of unknown area but they are you know as we're talking to clients they're leaning in with that well what can data unlock how can we up, up in you know, enhance our understanding and i think if, as we start to bring all those different channels together and we create optimal customer experience then you do start to create an actual proper reciprocal value relationship in the fact that they can understand that yes the data and in, you know being involved and participating in a data exchange is worth it because of the fact that they can see that their experience is so much enhanced whether that be on or offline the more we can link that together i think the more that will open up customer understanding but also marketing understanding how can really drive and deliver value through data Amazing. Well, normally, and for the la- for the listeners' benefit, for the last time of this episode, a lot of nodding during Tash's summation there. And so, Tash, thank you so much. Normally, I do a summation at the end of the episode, but I think you did that perfectly. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, if any of the listeners want to reach out to any of you and get in contact, uh, either about anything you've mentioned today or about any of the work that you've done, where would be the best place for them to find you, Andrea? Yeah, I can be found on LinkedIn. Yeah, you can find for Andrea Villa, um, or you can reach our uh, beautiful marketing team at Brave Bison. Nice, fantastic. And Sophie? Uh, Probably best finding me on Twitter. I'm a bit of a LinkedIn phobe. Um, So on Twitter, I am at Coley Bird, C-O-L-E-Y Bird. Nice, fantastic. And Richard? Uh, Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. um, And also you can come to the social and content team at Ogilvy and have a chat to us about all your social data needs. Nice, perfect. And Tash? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn or through Indicia Worldwide. Uh, we've got quite a few uh, talks coming up, so do stay tuned. We've got lots of um, insights, especially around that retail space I was talking about. Amazing. Well, thank you again, Andrea, Sophie, Richard, and Tash. That has been a whirlwind tour through the use of data for marketers, but I know that it, the listeners will really appreciate that. It's really set up a lot of what we'll be talking about during our data deep dive. And for the listeners... Please do stick around. Go to thedrum.com where we write about all things data, marketing, media every single day of the week. Uh, you can find us at thedrum.com or by going to us on social across every social platform at the drum. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.